Hello, welcome back to KUWTAK, also known as Keeping Up With The Odd Kids. I am your host, Johan. And that's it. Um, what? Rebecca's not here. Um, shock, horror. This is your cue to leave if you're only here for Rebecca. Um, but if you decide to stay, um, congratulations to you because... I just know this episode is going to be killer. This is a really good episode. Um, no offense to Rebecca, but she's really missing out on what I think is going to be one of the best episodes on our <laughs> in our whole podcast um, list. <laughs> oh, she's going to hate me for saying that. Um, but yeah, what's the situation? So Rebecca is going. She's decided to leave Joburg and she's going to be staying in Cape Town for the next three months. And obviously we are on a roll with our podcast. We've been uploading them once a week so far for like, I think it's the last five weeks. I'm not too sure. And, you know, let's let's keep that ball rolling. So um, she said that she might record one or two with her friends down there in Cape Town. And then obviously with the climate that we're in, um, I decided, let me give doing a podcast episode by myself a bash. Um, I want to challenge myself, see if I can do it. Um, to be fair, I don't think it's much of a challenge because um, Rebecca will know voice notes are my thing. I'm quite easily able to send a half an hour voice note discussing a Survivor episode all by myself. Um, so I think this will go good. Um, yeah, so what are we going to be speaking about today, you might ask? Well, I want to speak about my personal top 10 revolutionary pop culture moments that just changed the game for media as a whole. It's my personal list. In the list, I'm including um, songs, I'm including TV shows, I'm including movies, I'm including there's one video game. So it's just a general, like, top 10 list of moments that, for me, just are iconic and what I think about a lot. Um... And then also, if I manage to get through all of that in a certain set time, I want to speak about gatekeeping and why I believe gatekeeping culture is actually a good thing. But we'll get back to that later. Um, Yeah. Stay tuned for this episode. (laughs) So starting off the list with number 10, my number 10 um, cultural reset of all time is probably the most recent thing that's happened. And um, it's actually this year on the 21st of May when good old Lana Del Rey decided to cancel herself. Oh, this was somewhat of a fever dream. So for me, for those of you who don't know, on the 21st of May, Lana Del Rey decided to post on her social media, 
like a little mini essay that she typed out on probably on her note app somewhere and um this mini essay she decided to post and she got a lot of backlash for it a lot of backlash because uh the main reason is she dishes out on um the black female pop stars current black female pop stars um and she got a lot of she was cancelled saying that she is racist and there was a lot that went into this and if you follow Lana Del Rey if you aware of her you're not the people who understand Lana Del Rey are not surprised with the whole message but the people who don't understand her I think were shocked they didn't quite understand what was happening and it was just such a moment in time such a bloody moment in time I really really it's so brilliant it's so brilliant I strongly urge you to go read the <laughs> the thing some way I'm sure you'll find it it's called um she titled it what did she tell um question for the culture do yourself a favor go read it it is hilarious it is iconic in the easiest form and it's misunderstood it is misunderstood because a lot of people thought that it was she was slurring on these famous celebrities when in fact if you read it properly and try to resonate what she says you understand that that's not the point of the whole essay it's actually speaking about how she feels that um media and um um the culture has silenced her for so long about speaking about topics um romanticizing love affairs and all of this kind of stuff and it's disempowering her but then at the same time she's saying that she wants to sing about this stuff because it's relevant to her life and oh, it's brilliant it's a work of art in itself i love lana del rey me and rebecca have discussed her in i think 90% of our podcasts especially the season 2 podcasts um she's just such an icon um my favorite quote from it is that I am fed up with female writers and alternative singers saying that I am glamorizing abuse when in reality I'm just a glamorous person. Oh, iconic, iconic. Do yourself a favor, go read it. It's a work of art. It's it's brilliant. I chose this because it is one of the more recent things on my list and I feel like I need something from recent times like later down in the list i have something from 1989 and like all my stuff is like from the 2000s so i wanted just to include something a bit more recent to make this list the list that it is okay moving on to number 9 my number 9 most iconic moment in media and culture is the reality show simple life now I am a whore for reality TV. 
Half of this list is reality TV stuff. And I love reality TV. It's always been a big fan of mine. What? It's always been a big fan of mine. Yeah, hun, come on, get your wording correct. It's, I've always enjoyed it. Let's just say that. I love Survivor. I love how easy it is to watch reality TV. There's no hard concentrating. You watch it, it's over, it's funny, you have a laugh, and you move on, you know? There's nothing bad about reality TV. You're not investing, like, time and effort into it. You're not investing brain capacity into it. You can easily, like... One of my least favorite reality TV shows is Love Island. But I think what makes Love Island so great is watch is its watchability. From a sense that you can play it and watch it in the background while you do things. And not really feel like you're wasting time or procrastinating. It's more like a, a show you can put on in the back. And there's hours and hours of it. Of people just swearing at each other and it's funny it's brilliant it's great and that's why I love reality tv so at number nine is the simple life and this is a 2000s reality tv show um, based around Paris Hilton and her best friend Nicole is it Richie Nicole Richie um sorry if I'm wrong and it's one of my favorite reality TV shows because the whole purpose of it is that obviously these two are rich um, children at the time. I think they were in their 20s or like really early 20s when they filmed this show. And they would go around to small towns in America and stay with like a normal working class family and like do a job for a week so um one of the episodes they like help maintain a fast food restaurant and they worked on farms there's so much that they they worked in bakeries there's a lot of things that that they do and altogether it's just such a funny reality show because It's basically playing on classism and and these rich, snobbish girls going to these areas, you know, that aren't rich and lavish and they're thrown into their... and have to work on a farm scooping manure. It's brilliant. It's so funny. It's amazing because Nicole Richie, she's Paris's friend, and she's the real troublemaker on the show. She's the real drama causer, while Paris is the the tame, timid one. Do yourself a favor, go watch the show. It's brilliant. It's phenomenal. There's an episode that I love where they're staying with a family and then Mother's Day is approaching and they want to get something for the mother. But at the same time, they have no money because that's the point of the show. Um. So they steal the bank card from their employer and go buy this mother like a ugly birdhouse gifted to her and then pretend cry that their grandmother's sick or something 
to the employer so that the employer doesn't fight with them because they stole their money. I hope that made sense. I don't think any of that made sense. But do yourself a favor. Go watch The Simple Life or at least go watch um, highlights of it on YouTube. Brilliant show. I love The Simple Life. Okay, number eight. Number eight is um, my favorite animation of all time. I am such an animation I've loved animation. I almost went into animation um, as a, what's it called? I don't know. As a career path. Um, but my problem with animation is that I felt like, I don't know. They, there's, I love it for its art and stuff. But I have this weird disconnect with animation where I don't watch any animations like at all <laughs> um i've not watched any of the recent disney shows from the past 5 years or pixar not shows movies i've not watched any of them um i s- slightly feel guilty about it but i don't really <laughs> um and that's my problem with animation is that i love and appreciate it but i don't watch it. I don't watch anime, I don't watch anything. Um, but I have watched a lot as a child. And my favourite animation of all time is an animation called The Little Prince. Now, I have a story about The Little Prince. Um, so, The Little Prince, when was it? I don't know when it was released. But let's say I was in grade five. Or six. No, let's say I was in grade seven. I feel like that's kind of more, uh, more or less when it was released. Grade seven. Um, let's say 2014, that would be. I don't know. Anyway, so 2014, The Little Prince comes. And it got no attraction because it's not a Disney or Pixar film. And in essence, it's an animation created for adults. Um, so me and my mom, I think my dad was on a work trip to Brazil or somewhere. Me and my mom were like wandering around the house on a weekend doing nothing. And we were like, let's go watch a movie. So me and my mom looked on the internet to see what movies were currently on. There was nothing really intriguing us or anything. We saw Little Prince was on. We saw it was an animation and we were like, ah, okay, you know what, we're going to, let's go watch The Little Prince. Um, we know nothing about it. We know, we don't know what the story is about or anything. Let's go watch The Little Prince. Anyways, um, we went to go watch it. And first things first, it is one of the most beautiful animations. The style is beautiful. The story is beautiful. The characters are beautiful. Everything is done beautifully. It's not a like a colorful, joyous, beautiful, uh, technicolor, fun animation with so many effects and stuff. It's quite a plain story. Um, that's a lot. There's a lot of fun effects in it. But anyways, it's... It's very plain. It's raw. 
Anyways, we went to go watch it. Um, as a kid and mother does, thinking it's going to be a fun-loving, you know, an everyday Pixar animation. Well, let's just say, me and my mom proceeded to walk out of the um, movie theatre. Both of our eyes were red. My mom had a packet of tissues. They were, like, drenched in in tears. <laughs> it was honestly one of the saddest movies ever it's so good definitely go watch it if you're in for a good cry i don't know i've known some people who didn't cry while watching it for those people that's psychopathic get help immediately but me and my mom walked out of that like our eyes were red we were planning to do shopping afterwards we walked into one shop my mother was in a state i i'm so sorry I got a bloody phone call in the middle of my recording. How embarrassing. I put it down. I don't even know who it was. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so me and my mom, we were bawling. We got into one shop and we were like, no, let's leave. This is the worst thing to happen. The experience was bad. We were sad. We were angry. And we just went home and... I've never quite recovered from um the experience. It was definitely traumatizing, especially more the shock that we were expecting it to be fun, loving and cute. And then next second, we didn't know the storyline and it turned out to be the sad story that it was. Um, but definitely an animation to watch. It's superb, brilliant, show-stopping, spectacular. What? Eat on it, shit on it. Put it in your mouth, throw it, you know, I'm referencing Lady Gaga, but I'm doing a really bad job at it. Okay, number seven on my list. So this one's oddly specific because I didn't want to just include television shows without like recommending something specific about them. So the next one is Euphoria, specifically the makeup and clothing of euphoria i think euphoria has been such a revolutionary show in terms of the makeup and clothing i think the show is so synonymous with gen z culture and what we want to be and who we are i understand like obviously it's romant romanticizing abuse drugs sex and like a bunch of stuff that we shouldn't be romanticizing um but the but as a show as a whole it's gen z to a t you know it's 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 what we are it's what we represent right it's connectedness on our phones catfishing everything a girl basically starting an only fans you know kind of it's just it's interesting it's good it's brilliant um they speak about mental health how fascinating. What a great show. Do yourself a favor and watch Euphoria. If you've not, um, you're really missing out. But what I really want to speak about is the makeup and clothing in Euphoria. One thing that irks me and irritates me the hell out of Euphoria is that Euphoria only has like two or three like guy main 
male actors, which is, I don't know their names. The bully. <laughs> What's his name? Nate. Um, Nate, and then there's the drug dealer. Fez, oh, got his name. And then there's um, the basketball, not basketball, the football player that's dating Cassie. Those are like the only three like main male characters. And it irritates me because I'm seeing these fantastic, brilliant, beautiful women on the show and they're all wearing such cool clothes and such brilliant makeup. And obviously it's inspired so many people and has been inspirational aesthetics. Yet us boys only have like these three men who do, whose outfits and clothing were not that recognisable and or iconic. So I'm slightly jealous that um, the girls can enjoy it from that standpoint. Um, whereas the guys, not so much. Um, but yeah, the makeup, phenomenal, brilliant. It's girls with high detailed graphic liners pitching up to school, you know, like, how phenomenal. And the world is so believable, which is probably the best part. When you're watching the TV show, you believe these these girls wearing these 20 gems on their face going to school is a normal thing. It's like a everyday, they're not doing it for an event. They're just wearing 50 gems on their face. And 10 pounds of glitter, it's... It's quite iconic. It's really good. Um, I think Euphoria is one of the most visually stunning TV shows created. And it's because of the works of the makeup and fashion team that it is the way it is. I just love it. I love watching it. I just wish more people... Like, why aren't girls wearing 50 gems out in the open like that? I think as time is progressing, that's why I say it's synonymous with Gen Z, that over time, more and more people are wearing that kind of a look. And you're seeing it on people's Instagram. I mean, half of the world of girls currently are so influenced by makeup and 90% of them are beauty gurus now and can do the makeups, you know, brilliant. I'm so happy. Express yourself. Love yourself. Okay, number six. Number six of my iconic moments in media. So number six is my one and only video game on the list. Um, I understand that the majority of our listeners don't really care for video games. Um... But just hear me out. Hear me out. So my favorite video game of all time is Overwatch. Overwatch is a first-person shooter and it's brilliant. Altogether, it's brilliant. You get, I don't know how many characters, I want to say there's over 30 characters that you can choose from. And what's so brilliant about Overwatch is its diverse cast of characters You've got somebody for everybody, you know. So many representations 
for people that have not been represented in video games. So we have French people mixed with Brazilians, mixed with Mexicans, mixed with um, a lesbian from London, mixed with, I don't know, there's so many. (laughs) Did I say Indian people? Um, White people? Then you have, like, you know, everybody from all different nationalities coming together in this wide, diverse cast of characters. And everybody's so fun. And it's just such a great game. It's one of my favorite video games of all time. And I think what the video game stands for as a whole is brilliant. It's just fantastic. Now, I understand that not everybody can enjoy a video game. Not everybody's a gamer. Um, but what everybody can enjoy is a 10-minute short film on YouTube. And that's something I love about Overwatch, is that Overwatch is providing a story, obviously. And um, it's created several, I don't know how many, let's say 10, 10 animated shorts to obviously advertise and sell their game. Now, these animated shorts are little animations telling story and lore behind a lot of the characters. Um, And they are beautiful. They are brilliant animations. I love Overwatch animated shorts. Honestly, I would rather watch a 10-minute animated short from Overwatch than some long one-and-a-half-hour movie or two-hour movie from Disney. Because I just think they do so much better. It's a 10-minute, moving, impactful, small video. Um, So if you get a chance and you want to go, you want to watch something, go and watch all the animated shorts for for Overwatch. If you don't have a lot of time to waste, um, I recommend... Um, the animated shorts called The Last Bastion and Rise and Shine. The Last Bastion is about a robot who wakes up in a forest. And then Rise and Shine is about um, a Chinese girl called Mei who cryo-freezes herself and wakes up in, in Antarctica with all her fellow scientists not waking up from their cryo freeze. Do yourself a favor, go watch it. Rise and Shine and The Last Bastion. Beautiful, lovely, fantastic, brilliant. I'm just realizing this whole podcast is just me referring you to go watch things. Um, And I'm not mad. Like, do it. You guys better be writing this down while you're listening. If you're not, um, that's your fault. You're going to have to rewind and listen to all my things again. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Number five on my list is going back to my favorite reality TV show of all time. And that is Survivor. Now, I love Survivor. I'm sure I've spoken about it on this podcast somewhere before my deep passion to one day be on it um i love survivor survivor it's so weird though because like 
I don't like nature. I don't like islands. I don't like anything that surviving. I'm so far from the game of Survivor that like nobody would guess that I would be on it. But at the same time, the strategy, the relationship dynamics that Survivor has. Wow. Just wow. It's so amazing. It's brilliant. I love, love, love Survivor. I love dissecting Survivor. When a season is on, I will literally not go to sleep at night because I'm thinking this person's going to vote for this person and this person's going to be... It's just brilliant. I love Survivor. I will one day be honest and I will one day win because you know what? We all know that I will win. Um, I just have that winning mentality in terms of Survivor and I'll do it. Anyways, Survivor. In 2010... The American Survivor released my favorite Survivor season of all time. And that is season 20, Survivor Heroes versus Villains. This is my favorite Survivor season of all time. I love it. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's revolutionary. It is an all-star season. An all-star season is when they bring, bring back like previous competitors um and throw them in the survivor arena again and see who wins out of those previous competitors and they're all fan favorites and this season is heroes versus villains so they split the tribe down in two and they say this is the tribe of heroes like people that were nice and friendly throughout their competition stay and then villains people who were backstabbers you know, the sort of player I would be. <laughs> it's just a phenomenal season because of its cast. Its cast is fantastic. It has everybody from Rupert to um, Poverty, my favorite Survivor player of all time. Sandra, Coach, Russell. Um, gosh, why am I hitting a blank now? There's so many. There's so many. There are so many. Um, it's mainly the villain's tribe. I'm sorry. Courtney. Oh, brilliant. Amanda. Oh. Brilliant. But you know what's nice about Survivors vs. Heroes versus Villains is the fact that it is, as much as this is an all-star season, it is a standalone season. And I would still recommend it to anybody who wants to watch Survivor to watch Heroes vs. Villain. Obviously, like, it references past seasons a lot because the people are from past seasons. But you don't have to watch previous seasons to enjoy the absolute game that the show portrays. The villains just fighting and backstabbing and killing off the heroes and tricking them. The the villain tribe tricks the hero tribe and it's phenomenal. It's such a JTR. It's such a great season. It is so brilliant. And the people in that season are so iconic. I love Sandra. Oh, brilliant. Go watch Survivor. This would be my number one, but I didn't want to be biased and throw 
a Survivor season right at number one. So it is my number five. Okay, moving on to number four. So, oh, I love this as well. Okay, we've moved into like my, the part that I feel really passionate about in the whole list. And that was Survivor. And now it's number four. Madonna. Specifically, Like a Prey, Madonna. 1989. Madonna releases her music video for her single, Like a Prayer. I wasn't fortunate enough to be born to see how this affected the media, but luckily I have a mom who basically told me everything. Now, Like a Prayer is... I don't listen to a lot of Madonna's music. I find her music very irritating. <laughs> no offense, Madonna. Um... But there is one song that I listen to, and that's Like a Prayer, and that is because of the music video. The music video is revolutionary, especially for its time of being in 1989. It, if it was released today, it would still be as shocking as it was then. Um, would it be? I'm not too sure, actually. Anyways, the music video follows Madonna and... A portrayal of Jesus as a black man, um, which is completely fine. Like, who says Jesus wasn't a black person? Um, but in the video, Jesus is a black man. Madonna, there's another scene where Madonna sings in front of burning crosses. Um, there's a scene where white men stab um, and kill this white woman. And then a black guy comes to aid her. And then the police show up and arrest the black man for killing for killing the woman when in fact it wasn't her. Very current to today's time with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Fantastic. It makes so many points on race. It makes so many points on religion. It is phenomenal. It is so phenomenal. And to say it was released in 1989... Fantastic. It got so much press and heat. I mean, you must understand that the um, all the religious people at the time, can you imagine 1989 and Madonna depicting Jesus as a black person? People were shocked. They were like, what? How can this be true? You know, Ariana Grande releases a song and says God is a woman now and nobody really flinches an eye. But back then... It's fantastic. It is so fantastic that this white, cis, straight woman released this music video. It is it is phenomenal. It is honestly phenomenal. Like a Prayer by Madonna. Fantastic. It's a work of art. Go watch it. Okay. Number three on my list. This also I have a special place in my heart for. And that is episode 10 of season 2 of American Horror Story. Now, if you don't know what episode 10 of season 2 of American Horror Story is about, the title of the episode is called The Name Game. Fantastic. Brilliant. So, I've loved American Horror Story for a long time now. Rebecca and our friend Megan introduced me to American Horror Story and it's a deep psychological horror 
it's an anthology series, meaning you don't have to watch each season in order. You can watch each season separately. But my favorite season is um, season two, um, which is called Asylum. And my favorite episode is episode 10. Because of the one big factor being the song Name Game. I've recently seen that it's become a trend on TikTok, the sound, you know, name, game, do do. It's fantastic. So let me quickly break it down for you. The show takes place in an insane asylum where people are sent and basically they get horrific incidents happen in the insane asylum. So people get shock treatment, they get lobotomies, and people basically go there mentally stable and over time due to how insane the insane asylum is you see characters drive off the path completely and it's in this episode episode 10 where the main character played by Jessica Lange is submitted into the insane asylum And altogether, the season just ties up and you see how insane these people are. Because she's now one of the insane people in the asylum. And all of a sudden, she's in like the, is it like a cafeteria area? Like the, the hang around area where all the crazed people just like hang around. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, the whole season, it's scary, it's insane, it's weird, it's, it's what it is, it's, it's eerie, it's gross, it's not nice. And out of nowhere, hits this joyous song called The Name Game, literally out of nowhere. And it's joyous, it's upbeat, it's fun, it's so the atmosphere just changes completely from what it was before. And this is one of the scariest moments in the whole show. Because of how the tone changes, that something so upbeat and joyous, depicting somebody going insane, is more scary than just the previous depiction of the insane asylum, which was dreaded, gross, boring, grey. You you get me. I'm trying to explain it. I don't think I can explain it properly unless you've you've seen it. But it's more eerie. The the upbeat, joyous song is more eerie than the rest of the series, which makes no sense in context. But it's worth watching just to see this scene do yourself a favor and i always say american horror story is not a horror it's not scary it's not it really doesn't the title for it being horror doesn't do it justice if you consider let me just ask you this for those of you who are scared to watch american horror story Think about it like this, Stranger Things. Most people have seen Stranger Things. 
American Horror Story is the same level of scariness as Stranger Things. If you can watch Stranger Things, you can watch American Horror Story. It's really not that bad. Um, but if you want to watch it, watch season two of American Horror Story. It is phenomenal. It is absolutely crazy. And this scene just ties the whole show together. Okay. I think that's enough of speaking about American Horror Story. Uh, let me move on to my number two. Sorry, I got carried away a bit there. I knew I would get carried away the further I went down the list. Um, okay, number two. Number two is another reality TV show. And it's such an amazing reality TV show. So, when was it? 2000s? I want to say early 2000s. I'm not too sure. But just think MTV... Next, Cribs, uh, Sweet 16, all of those kind of reality TV show, that atmosphere of reality TV show. And it's the name, the name of this reality TV show is Flavor of Love. Flavor of Love is basically a, bl- a, a, a duplicate bachelor. And it only had two seasons. And um, the bachelor in is not a bachelor it's actually um flavor flay who is apparently a well-known rapper in the rapping industry you know 2000 rapper you know those big gold you know you know the vibes very snoop doggy kind of vibe anyways it's a group of girls competing for his love and each week, one of them gets voted out until he finds his love. Um, in this mix of crowd, there is one contestant who has gone on to make one of the most successful careers for herself because of this show. And her name is Tiffany New York Pollard. I love this woman. She is brilliant. She is phenomenal. She is so fantastic. I would do anything for Miss Tiffany New York Pollard. She's so iconic. She made the TV show. And I'm going to spoil it for you guys slightly. She makes it all the way through the TV show. She's so dramatic, so funny. So many quotable lines, everything. She makes it all the way to the last episode where she gets voted out and she can't be she comes second place anyways the person that flavor flay falls in love with they break up and they make a season two short story comes to an end and miss tiffany new york pollard because she was such a hit the first season round they bring her back for a season two as another contestant and she is so iconic then yet again she has some of the most brilliant quotes she's the everybody knows the audio the beyonce 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 she has so many great fights somebody spits in her mouth and then she slaps them and then proceeds to tell everybody that that spit it tasted like shit 
she has so many memeable and quotable moments on the show where she slurs out people, where she just disses people. It's fantastic. Oh, I love it. Do yourself a favor. I keep saying, do yourself a favor. Take shots every time I say, do yourself a favor. Go watch blah, 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 blah. But Flavor of Love is probably one of the most underrated reality TV shows. But one of my favorite shows. It it only had two seasons. It was never renewed for more. Um, I think good old Flavor Flav, the um, the Bachelor dude, he had enough of the show. But both seasons are as iconic as each other. You can't watch season one without watching season two, and you can't watch season two without watching season one. It's fantastic. It's everything you want a Bachelor season to actually be. I'm sorry, I cannot stand Bachelor. Bachelor is very weak reality TV show. It's very... I'm in love with this person. I met five minutes ago. And you know what? I hope he gives me a rose. No, I'm sorry, honey. You cannot be in love with this um, Ken doll or Bobby doll. It's not real. Flavor of love, on the other hand. Now that's a real reality show. Go watch it. It's fantastic. Flavor of love. Brilliant. Okay, moving on to my number one spot on the list. And that is... Let me just let me just set the scene for you. It's 2009. It's the VMA Awards. If you don't know what VMA Awards just stop listening to the podcast right now. It's the Video Music Awards 2009. Video Music Awards. What happens? Two iconic things happen on the same night. Number 1, Kanye Gate. What happens? Taylor Swift wins the award for best music video. And who interrupts her? None other than Kanye West. He gets on stage, grabs her microphone out of her hand and speaks on the microphone and says, Taylor Swift, I'm sorry, my dear, but um, you are up for elimination. <laughs> no, she says, he's, he basically says, Taylor Swift, yes, you won the award for best music video, but Beyonce had the best music video award and that this award that you have in your hands right now should have been Beyonce's. Phenomenal. Brilliant. Such a moment in time. I can remember people were shocked. It, if you Do yourself a favor, go watch it. It amazes me still that somebody, Kanye West, somebody gets up during somebody's acceptance speech and is like, no, honey, this does not belong to you. Fantastic. But that's not the winner of the night for me. That is not the winner of the night for me. There is something so much more important that happens that night. And that's Lady Gaga's performance to paparazzi. I think about this performance more than I think about anything else <laughs> in life. Anything because this performance is so fantastic. So, um, I hope you all know paparazzi 
by Lady Gaga. Fantastic song. It's about fame. It's about paparazzi being obsessed with her, her not being able to live out her life. And this music video, this not music video, her performance at the VMAs, absolutely phenomenal. So she's wearing this all white, like beaded bodysuit. Um, very basic. It's not that basic, but it's basically all white. And she's got like a streak of pink in her hair. Um, and she's performing paparazzi, like as any performer would, you know, the classic pop star you know, do some dance moves, then you, like, whip around your microphone a little bit. She's singing completely live vocals. Phenomenal. Brilliant. Let me not reference, sorry, let me, yeah, let me reference that she's 23, 23 years old at this time in her life. Anyway, she's moving her little body around. Her backup dancers are doing what they do. You know, generic pop star um, performance. Nothing too special. Until she goes backwards, behind, like, not behind the stage, but, like, towards the back of the stage. And, like, in the last chorus for the song... All of a sudden, her whole bodysuit just starts bleeding from itself. Like, there's obviously cuts. It's been manufactured brilliant. She, like, starts bleeding blood all over her white crystal bodysuit. And she's bleeding. And while she's doing that, she's giving the performance of her life to paparazzi. She's singing it like she's in distress like she's actually bleeding in real life and in the end she's sorry it's so fantastic it's so good she's bleeding and she goes to the back of the stage and then she suspend she gets suspended by this like rope wire thing and is dangled up in the air while she's dripping blood she's got blood on her face She's got this fake blood. I don't know what blood it is. It must be some fake blood, something. Inside her eye, like, there's a shot of her eye and it's just covered in blood and it's, like, wide open. The commitment that took to do that. Now, on top of that, what makes it so special is that while she's bleeding blood, while she's like screaming for help, it's obviously she's, it's a performance, it's not real. But she's screaming for help. It's gross, it's grotesque, it's scary, it's eerie. She's singing about paparazzi and fame. All the crowd is just cheering for her. Like nobody seems to really care that she's bleeding. Nobody, they all like, yay, go for it, do it, you know. Have fun, live your life, bleed on the stage, woohoo. And that's the, probably the saddest and most weird part about it is that the, sh- the song is about fame and the price you do for fame and how the paparazzi don't care for you as a person. And here she is bleeding, asking for help and everybody's just looking at her like, 
whatever, do your performance, you know. It's such a commentary on so many things. As a as a avid art lover, we've been taught to di- dissect art um art, art pieces and how they interact. This Lady Gaga's VMA performance is one of the best performative art pieces ever. It's it really is. It is performative art. It's fantastic. So much commentary is made in this video. Go watch it on YouTube. It's a two-minute video. I'm sure it's two minutes. I mean it's a music video. It's a music it's a music performance. But it's so special. It is so amazing. And the more you watch it, the more you analyze it and its meanings and what it is. It is so special. It was revolutionary when I saw it. It was revolutionary in 2009. It's been impactful to me every single day since I've seen it and every time I've rewatched that video, which must be over a million times by now. It's brilliant. It is my number one for a reason. Um, I understand that a lot of my list I'm recommending full like long TV shows to go watch and like full seasons to go watch. But if you're going to watch anything from my list, anything at all, go watch this Lady Gaga VMA performance. She had another VMA performance um, for which song? during her art pop oh for applause it's not as good as her 2009 VMA performance but go watch it you'll know it when you see it her in her white bodysuit and then she bleeds halfway through her performance fantastic brilliant it's everything that I aspire to me <laughs> without saying that in the cringiest okay I'm gonna stop this um okay so i don't have a game for this podcast because i don't really know how to play a game by myself um but i feel like this whole podcast was kind of a game i mean i think this was quite a good podcast if you don't mind me saying (laughs) i'm too cocky for this fucking world um but with the spare few minutes that I have, I quickly want to speak about gatekeeping culture and why I actually think gatekeeping culture is a good thing. So, um, what is gatekeeping culture? That's the first question. What is gatekeeping? What is gatekeeping culture? Why does gatekeeping ex- exist? So, um, I'm going to ha- have to use a lot of... Um, examples to explain this concept so gatekeeping is when a community um of people block out um people from basically entering the community it happens a lot with music and i'll be referencing a lot of music um in this explanation so for example um Emo people, back when, you know, early 2000s, emo phases were a thing. People used to gatekeep the emo community. 
so that people didn't didn't just come in and you know listen and intrude on their music um I hope I think that explanation makes sense of what gatekeeping is. It's just basically a community a community saying, "No, you're not allowed to listen to our music." Um, I think that's basically what the premonition is. Um, so now, why do I think gate? So there's been a lot about gatekeeping that I've been seeing about on the TikTok communities. And just in general about how gatekeeping is bad because it's excluding people. And I have to laugh. I have to laugh when I see people say, can we stop gatekeeping? Gatekeeping is bad. I laugh because there's a reason why gatekeeping is a thing. So I explained this in, I think, in the previous voice, in our previous podcast, um that I am a big fan of Panic at the Disco and I love Panic at the Disco. It is my favorite emo punk band from the 2000s. And I hated the new album. Um, you know, the new album with um, High Hopes and Death of a Bachelor and all of that because I feel like the album was no longer alternative. It was no longer suited for me. You see, I used to listen to Panic at the Disco back in 2000 and... No, not two, not 2000 and... I used to listen to Panic at the Disco in grade 8 and 9 as my alternative escape because I would listen to it and think, I, I am alternative. I know I don't dress alternative. I'm not... I don't present as an alternative person. But deep down, I've had my emo phase. I've had my alternative phase. I listen to alternative music. I'm not an indie kid. I'm not a rapper listener. I, deep down, I said this to my mom the other day. I'm an emo kid. Like, at heart, I'm an emo kid. I just don't dress it. I don't present it. as. I don't wear the all black and have the swooped hair to the side. I am a 2000s emo kid. That's, how, that's my mind, right? That is my mind. And in grade 8 and 9, I was like, wow, I'm so different. I listened to Panic at the Disco. And it was empowering to me. When I used to listen to Panic at the Disco, I thought, I am so... Um, I am happy that I'm alternative. I'm happy that I'm different from people who listen to current... What's it called? Pop music or rappers or whatever was popular at the time. It was a way to safeguard myself and say, it's okay, you know, to listen to this music because other people in the community are listening to it. You have to understand that if that music was released, not released, but caught the attention of modern, not modern, The mass media and, um, oh, I need to use my words, use your words, Johan. The mainstream. If that music was mainstream, it would not no longer be alternative for me. I would not feel like I fit in 
you get me it i would feel i'm not saying i'm i wasn't bullied for the music right for my music choice but it was my safeguard now all of a sudden it's being exposed to the rest of the world and they're enjoying it it's no longer mine it's no longer my music it's everybody else's i'm no longer glorified as being different but instead as just another person who listens to it to their music and i've been seeing a lot of gatekeeping with like bands such as 100 gigs at the moment i love 100 gigs by the way and there's a reason why gatekeeping exists is because the people that listen to 100 gigs are true alternative people it's it's for us you know it's not I have to think when I speak about this sorry it's so confusing to wrap my head around this but I feel like I just needed to speak about this um people don't want alternative music to be a trend it's not a trend to be alternative and I think that's what a lot of people don't quite understand is when people say why are you get keeping music There's a reason why we get keeping music is because we don't want being alternative to be a trend. It's not trendy to like. Um Sorry, just give me a second. Okay, never mind. It's not trendy to It was never cool to listen to Panic, you know. It was never cool to listen to um i don't know blink 182 or full out boy and green day and i don't know my chemical romance it was never cool so we gatekeep it so that mainstream doesn't get a hold of it because it's ours it's what we represent it's what we love it's it's what altern- alternative people do if that makes sense um that's just my personal I hope I explained to people why I think sorry this is such a weird segment in the podcast so left field I know this whole podcast was about my top 10 list but I feel like I wanted to speak about this um and I didn't quite know where to speak about it because I mean who's going to listen to me where where else are people going to listen to me um but yeah just wanted to explain that um and now for a lot of you that's pretty irrelevant what i just spoke about um but yeah anyways should i finish this voice note not voice note podcast what why do i keep calling it a voice note hmm. anyways that's that for that podcast yeah that's my first episode i have recorded by myself i hope it went well it feels like it went well I'm probably not going to listen back to it out of sheer embarrassment, but I'm going to upload it. Um I hope it was good. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um Rebecca's I don't know if Rebecca's going to do a podcast by herself with people, but I'm sure that'll be the next one after this. If it's not, then it's not. In the meantime, um yeah. Thank you for listening if you've got in this far. Um 
Cheers, love. Um, it was a bit of a different podcast today, wasn't it? But I think it was good. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too.